And the reason it's so important with our brain health is they call one the gut the second brain. We have a lot of neurons there, even more neurons than we have in our brain. So when people get that gut feeling, yep. it is a real thing. Like it's not, you know, just an imagination, a myth. Like you really do have neurons there that feel. But the other component is 90% of your serotonin is made in the gut. So really? if you have, and, and serotonin is your happy neurotransmitter. So if you have a lot of gut dysfunction, yeah. you can have depression and anxiety. I'm Megan Armstrong. Welcome to Life Six Feet Above. Six Feet Above was created when I started to share my story of spending 16 years wanting to be six feet under to now living a life full and happy six feet above. The more that I started to talk about my journey, my struggles and my past, the more I realized people were genuinely interested and not judgmental at all, which is what I'd feared for so long. In fact, other people wanted to talk about their story as well, and for some reason they trusted me to do so. So the Six Feet Above podcast is my way of helping to share other people's stories, finding out what works for them to create a life of happiness. Before we start this episode, I want to let you know it has some explicit language and some very serious subject matter. It may be triggering or sensitive to certain people. Please listen with discretion. This is Kristen's story. So today I have the pleasure of interviewing my boss, Kristen Oja, and uh, we are actually coming to you from my car where it's nice and quiet. So um, we'll probably start sweating in the next 20 minutes, but that's okay. That's okay. So Kristen, you are the founder of Stat Wellness, which is where I am employed as a director of movement. And when I first found Stat, I've been in fitness for a very, very long time. But when I first found STAT, there was just something different about walking in the door. Um, a, it was so bright and so airy and so so cheerful, but it's a fitness facility that also combines functional medicine. So explain to us, you know, A, where you're from and B, kind of what inspired you to get into functional medicine. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having You're me on welcome. the show, Megan. You're welcome. I have to say I love what you are doing because not enough people are talking about mental health. So I am honored and excited to be on here. Appreciate it. Uh, so my name is Kristen Oja, founder of Stat, as you mentioned, and I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. So I have deep roots here. I have lived here my whole life, born at Northside Hospital. So is my husband. And that's and, where you're having your baby. And that's where we're having our baby. So I am deeply rooted in Atlanta, Georgia. But what got me into functional medicine was really the fact that I was always really active growing yeah. up, but I never purposely exercised. And I went to college and gained the freshman 15, mm -hmm. had no idea. And I realized that you really have to actually be mindful in what you're doing. And you need to purposely exercise and think about what you're putting in your mouth, of course, not to an obsession. But I really got into wellness first. And I started as a personal trainer. And everybody told me, Kristen, you need a degree. We don't care what mm -hmm. you get. Just finish college. You're already a personal trainer. So I talked to some mentors, which I'm a huge believer of yeah. mentors. And they suggested that I do nursing. They're like, you can always fall back on it. So so you didn't have a plan when you went into college. You're like, no. I don't know what I want to do. No. Oh, I thought I was going to be a uh, designer, like a clothing designer. <laughs> really? I was going to go to NYU. I made my own clothes in high school. Where did so, you go to college? I went to Georgia College in state. Okay, so okay. everything changed. My parents encouraged me to stay in state for my first year. 
And going to school, I still thought I was going to be a fashion designer. Really? And now looking at it, it's hilarious because I don't even know the first <laughs> thing about brands. Same. And <laughs> so I'm um, glad I didn't do that. But that's what I wanted to do. And um, yeah, so I went and did nursing. And I really, I actually did not like nursing school. And I, I've shared this with you, Megan, before. Yeah. But my first rotation was in the dialysis unit. And it was so dark and these fluorescent lights. And people were getting their blood basically taken out of them, filtered, and put back in over four hours. So they would have to do this weekly or monthly, depending on their kidney function. And it just felt very dark and it felt very sad. And there didn't feel like there was enough hope. And that's really what inspired me to get my master's and then my doctorate and then board certification in functional medicine, because I really wanted to empower people to make healthy decisions and Mm -hmm. live their best life. Because I really believe life is too short to not feel your best. Mm -hmm. And we don't have to end up on eight different medications and a laundry list of chronic diseases and obesity, we have a choice to be better. And that's really what got me into functional medicine. And one thing, and I think maybe we just describe or we define what functional medicine means, because I think a lot of people hear that and it's a newer term. Um, It's not new, but it's a newer term, right? It's becoming like you basically can replace a family doctor. Yes. Correct. Yes. So functional medicine, I always describe it as root cause medicine. Okay. So we are still very allopathic, which is Western medicine. Right. So we right. still have Western medicine training. So I'm a family nurse practitioner for primary care. So I know how to look for infections. I know how to prescribe antibiotics, blood pressure medication. I know when to go and refer for a chest x-ray, things like that. Yeah. But rather than just handing somebody a pill, our goal is to figure out why. Why. So what is the reason behind the depression? What is the reason behind the irritable bowel syndrome? What is the reason behind the ADD and ADHD? Fix that so we don't have to rely on medications long term. Right, right. Which is huge for me because I grew up, you know, when I went through the first portion of my depression, this is 22 years ago, it was like so taboo. And they didn't do any of the research behind it. They're like, here's a pill. Here's a medication. Oh, this one didn't work for you. Here's another one. There was no like, why is this happening? Of course, I had therapists and psychologists and all of that. But there was no like, is there something else going on uh, physiologically, right? And also, there's a genetic component, which which we'll get into that. But going back to your childhood, have you ever experienced anxiety or have things been pretty good for you growing up? And, you know, your, your parents, like all of that plays into it. So just give us a little background about you before, uh, nurse Kristen. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So I was born into a storm and I have had that personality since the day I was born. My mom always told me that I always like to live life on the edge. Mm -hmm. Like I would always like almost get in trouble, but not get too far in trouble. I would really test my boundaries. Um, and fortunately, and I work with a lot of women and men that struggle with anxiety and depression, and we're talking about it so much more, which makes me so happy. Um, because it's one of the biggest disabilities in the United States and it's not managed appropriately. Fortunately for me, I really have never dealt with anxiety or depression. And I don't know if any of the listeners are into the Enneagram Mm. But it's a personality test where you have, you know, all nine of these personality traits in you, but some are more dominant than others. Right. So I'm a classic seven and sevens. We really see opportunity in everything. We don't really see risk. We don't think about side effects. We don't think about consequences. We really just see opportunities. Right. We're always looking at the next thing. So I really think my personality is not one to be anxious mm-hmm. um, or to be depressed, but it also comes with a lot of flaws. I was talking to my husband about this last night. And 
my personality can be really stressful and trigger mm-hmm. anxiety for those around me, oh. like especially my husband. So even though I don't suffer with anxiety, I can be a source of anxiety for my for husband. So he's a classic six okay. on the Enneagram. So they're loyalists. So he's very, he likes security and stability. Sure. He sees risk in everything rather than opportunities and everything. So somebody like me who doesn't ask 20 questions before I make a decision, right. that scares him Yeah, because I'm not going into it with an informed decision. And does it annoy you? that he is not like you in some ways so honestly we so I opened Stat Wellness with like really minimal plan like I knew what I wanted to do I um had a very small business plan I did not have investors (laughs) I just knew it was going to work yeah and he asked me how do you know it's going to work and I was like I just know it's going to work yeah and that was not a reason for him to open a business and it's almost 4,000 square feet our overhead is like 65,000 per month He's like, this is a big thing. This isn't just like a little, like you're starting a lemonade stand. Yeah. Like you can't just have a small plan. <laughs> but I knew in my heart it was going to work. And I just know at the beginning there was a lot of arguing and there yeah. was a lot of fights. And a lot of them um, ended positively. I was telling you earlier, my husband and I are both very dominant, strong personalities. Yes. So we can get fired up very quickly, but we can also calm down yeah. really quickly. Yeah. So we learned so much about each other oh, through sure. this experience. And it wasn't honestly until he did the Enneagram test that I fully understood Mm. he will not look at life the same way I do. And his very last one out of nine is the enthusiast, which is my number one. Really? So he is never going to respond to an idea the the way way. that I would. And it has made me love him so much more. And we really are the yin and the yang because... He's going to really do the research on my ideas, right. but now he doesn't bear me down with all the questions because he knows I'm not going to be the one that does the research. Right. So he'll just do it, and then he'll come back to me with maybe one or two questions that I'm happy to answer. So we've kind of figured out this routine and this pattern. Um, but yeah, fortunately, depression and anxiety isn't my biggest thing, but at the same time, I never feel content, which is also a very, you know, that's a hard personality too. Right. You're always looking at the next thing. So um, my mind's always going. I'm always ready. I'm like the energizer bunny. I like wake up and I have 500 ideas. I obviously, as you hear me talk very quickly, my (laughs) mind works quickly. So I um, thought I was a talker (laughs) and then I met Kristen. I'm like, Oh, we're going to get along. This is great. This is great. So I think that you have to just really be aware of who you are as a person and how you make the people around you feel. Yep. And that is one of the biggest things that I've learned over the last few years is I may not struggle with anxiety and depression, but I can be a source of anxiety for some of the people in my life. And how can I respond to that situation differently? How can I approach ideas? Right. I mean, the amount of awareness that you have is is huge and taking responsibility for that and being like, okay, I, under, I understand that I could be a trigger for someone else. Yes. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, talking about relationships um, and even the re- relationship with self you have to understand who you are and how you relate to other people. And then you also have to understand how they are because, you know, I'm going to get off on a tangent here, but what's going on in the world right now, like so much hatred and so much animosity. And it's because we don't understand other people. So that's incredible that you have both taken the steps to be like, okay, who am I first? And now who is my partner? And what do they respond to and not respond to? And then how do we work together? Right. I think so many times in relationships, people just want to blame the other person and they don't understand me. They're not doing this. And it's like, it's because they're different human being the brain is wired differently right so that's that's pretty uh that's i mean you're 20 no you're in your 30s yes you're 30 okay okay um that's pretty incredible that you've only been married for what a handful of years and so we've been together 
nine and a half years and married. We just celebrated four last night. I feel like it can take people 15, 20 years and, yes. and uh, you know, years of therapy to get to this point. So that's pretty props to you. Well, one of the things that I, I tell people, too, is your relationships are a choice. Yeah. You know, do you really want a positive relationship or are you going to settle for a negative? And a lot of, I think, bad relationships come from selfishness mm-hmm. where you're not looking at the other person's needs right. and really respecting their needs. And that's one thing that Cameron and I have really, I feel like, done a good job is learning what the other person needs, respecting that, understanding who you are, yep. just as you said. Um, and it just takes the willingness to decide that. You're not always going to get your way. Mm-hmm. It's not always going to be your plan. Yep. And in my experience with relationships I've seen fail is when one person is a little bit more selfish with what they need. Right. Right. So. And not to say like, yes, you do come first and you need to take care of who you are. But I can speak from experience in being in a relationship when I was severely depressed. It was all about me. Right. My life sucked. My job sucked. This, this and this. He's not doing this for me. And it becomes a very um, obsessive sort of thing. And and all you think about is yourself. It's so selfish. And I don't mean that. And in the way that we say, you know, um, someone is selfish that doesn't have depression, depression. I mean it in that all you can think about is yourself. Like and when you start to think about other people and what they want and they need, it takes your brain to a different place and kind of tricks it and you stop thinking about how bad your life is. And it took me a long time to get there, but it, it, it's consistency and it's so key when it comes to a relationship that when you start to think about the other person and what they need and how they respond, it actually helps you heal at the same time. Yes. And I think one of the other things in that is what are your expectations? Right. I know for me when uh, conversations haven't gone well is I had an expectation of what I wanted that person to say. Right. And they didn't say exactly what I wanted them to say. Mm. So now I'm upset. And so that was like the case with my husband. I wanted to tell him my idea and I wanted him to be super excited from the moment I told him. Right. You change your expectation and understand that person and then you can have a civil, healthy conversation because right. you had no expectations because nobody is going to say what you expect them to say. Right. So right. that was a huge thing I learned too. So let's get into the, you know, the components that go into depression, anxiety, mental health, mental illness, schizophrenia. There are so many different components, right? Environmental factors, genetic factors. And one thing that you specialize in is gut health and hormone um, balancing, which is which is cool because the last interview was with Kim Shaper and we talked a little bit about this. So I'm happy to kind of dive in a little bit more uh, deeply into this. And like I said, 20 years ago, you know, when I was, was diagnosed with um, depression, it, no one asked me, what do I eat? How do I sleep? Like all the other things that we now know are so important. So let's just kind of jump into that. When you see someone with a mental health issue or someone that's struggling, what are kind of the first questions that you ask them? 
So one of our biggest things when we do functional medicine is we like to go all the way back to the beginning of their life. We want to hear- Like when they were born or how they were born? We want to hear their whole life story starting at their birth. Okay. So we want to know with our patients, were you a C-section or a vaginal delivery? Were you breastfed or not? Why does that matter? Gut health. So one of the big things, and of course there's different ways, and I always say that knowledge is power, Mm -hmm. and just because you're a C-section doesn't mean you're going to have a bad functioning gut. Right. But it's one of those things to be aware of, that there is a correlation, not a causation, is what I like to say. So we know that babies that are born from a C-section, they're born into a sterile field. They don't go through the vaginal canal and get all that bacteria in their eyes, their skin, um, their nose, because they're born into a surgical room that is very sterile. And so their guts are much more sterile at birth because of that. So that's one of the reasons, but there's a lot of ways to rebuild that. So if you're breastfed, then you're getting some of the bacteria from your mom's breast milk. You're getting some of the bacteria from her skin. So there are ways to rebuild that. But a lot of my patients I'll talk to, they were a C-section baby. Mm -hmm. They weren't breastfed. They were on a lot of antibiotics because they got chronic ear infections. And we didn't know what we know now about the benefits of probiotics. So what do the, and you asked me, I remember when I did my initial visit with you, um, I think the question was, were you on a lot of antibiotics? antibiotics before you were three. Yes. So why does that matter? There's some newer studies, and these are smaller studies, but they really found that your gut looks very similar from when you're a little child to when you're an adult. Really? Unless you make some drastic changes. Okay. So, I mean, when we're talking about the gut microbiome, I am talking about this complex ecosystem. It's the most complex ecosystem in the world, even more than rainforest, which blows my mind. Really? It's like that brain emoji. We have more than 10 times the amount of bacteria, viruses, fungi in our large intestines then we have cells throughout our whole entire body. And those that, that microbiome is either helping our health or it's hurting us. Mm. And the reason it's so important with our brain health is they call one, the gut, the second brain. We have a lot of neurons there, even more neurons than we have in our brain. So when people get that gut feeling, yep. it is a real thing. Like it's not, you know, just an imagination, a myth. Like you really do have neurons there that feel. But the other component is 90% of your serotonin is made in the gut. So really? you have, and, and serotonin is your happy neurotransmitter. So if you have a lot of gut dysfunction, yeah. you can have depression and anxiety. Uh, so the one thing I try to identify through people's history is, are we seeing a brain-gut connection or mm-hmm. a gut-brain? If the person has very regular bowel movements, they don't experience bloating and reflux, they were a vaginal delivery, maybe on you know three or four antibiotics throughout their whole lifespan, right. gut is not a place I'm going to spend a lot of time. Okay. So really starting at birth and kind of understanding things. And one of the big things that I see a lot in women too, outside of the gut is something traumatic happened around puberty. Maybe their parents had a really traumatic divorce and it put a lot of stress on them at a young age. Then I'm going to spend more time looking at hormones. Okay. So their cycle is about to start, but they have got high cortisol, which is their stress hormone because their house completely changed. Right. Or they had to grow up because their mom had alcoholism and depression and they had to become the mom in the household. Right. So, you know, I'm I'm going to spend more time talking about their hormones and their trauma um, because there's always there. It's not always just one thing, too. Yeah. And that's what I love about functional medicine is I always say we're trying to piece together the puzzle mm-hmm. and figure out where are some of the pieces that we need to optimize. It's very rarely like, OK, your gut microbiome is a little off. Take a probiotic right. and now your depression, anxiety and bipolar is away. fixed. Right. It's right. not. And that's never you know the claim I'm trying to make. 
but it's connecting all the different dots sure. and seeing how can we optimize this. And it takes longer. You know, it's going to take longer than taking an antidepressant that's going to take four weeks. Right. Um, and so, you know, on the flip side, too, for the people that are listening, we never want our patients to feel bad about needing medication right. or asking for medication. But one of the things we do offer at Stout Wellness is a genetic test. So we have some patients that come in. And they're like, Kristen, I really want to explore functional medicine, but I can't even function. Like, I can't even get up in the morning. Yeah. I'm so depressed. Yep. That person is not ready to go gluten-free and to eat a whole foods diet and to implement exercise changes and to take a probiotic daily. Right. Like, they're in survival. They're yep. not in a place where they're ready to start thriving. So we'll do a genetic test if they're able to, which is just a cheek swab. Okay. And it looks at their genetics and what medication they're going to break down more effectively. So it. it takes away that kind of polypharmacy where let's try this antidepressant, wait four to six weeks. Yeah. Then let's try this one. Which, so to piggyback on that, I remember, you know, going through four or five different medications and it just was so daunting because the doctor's like, okay, here you in a granted, I'm 16 at this, this time. So it's different than if I were to have to go through it now, but the doctor's like, here you go, try this medication. We're going to need to wait four to six weeks to make sure it works. And then, you know, I remember being on, um, uh, I forgot, I think it was Prozac at one point and I literally gained like 20 pounds. It's like, okay, now I need to go off of that. So it was like, it was so exhausting just trying different medications. I wish I had known like, Hey, you can actually swab your cheek and see what your body will respond better to. Is that yes. what you're saying? Yes. Yeah. And the great thing about the test is it, it doesn't mean that the medications may be on your orange or red list that you can't use, but it allows us to know, are you going to be an ultra metabolizer of this medication? Meaning it's going to go through you really quickly. You're probably going to need a work. higher dose, a higher dose to make okay. it work. Okay. Or are you a really slow metabolizer of this medication? And that is the case for a lot of my patients. So they're going to be more likely to have side effects. So right. I start with like a pediatric dose and they do fantastic. So and that's all they need. And that's all they need. I mean, do you think most of America's over-medicated when it comes to this stuff? So I think so. I've worked with some patients recently that have come in on three, four medications, and they're on like the max doses of all of these. Jeez. And the thing that I think about is, you know, it's going to take you a long time to come off of it. Mm -hmm. One of our members, um, of course, I can't mention her name, but she came in on four or five medications and her psychiatrist told her, you will never be able to come off medication. <sighs> and... That just kind of like blew my mind that we could make such yeah. a extreme statement mm -hmm. to somebody that now thinks this is what she's going to have to do the rest of her right. life to be able to function. Right. So she was a really fun one to be able to empower. And we've been working with her now for over a year and she's been gradually taping, tapering off. And in February of this year was off all of her medications wow. and feeling amazing. And, you know, some people aren't able to come off all of them, right. but, you know, maybe they come down to one or two blending in some of these functional medicine right. principles. Well, and I think it's also the sense of awareness. Like I have not, I haven't taken medication in over seven years, but I am hyper aware when I get in my funks and I get down, I'm I, okay. How long is this lasting? Is this situational? Is this more than situational? And I'm always open that maybe one day I might need it, right? Yes. Might need it for something. And I think the old me would have been embarrassed and I would have felt bad about myself. Like, Oh, I need medication. I, I remember my mom explaining it to me once. She's like, it's as if you had diabetes or heart disease. This is what your body needs right now, Yes, you know, to survive and, and cope and deal. And the more that I've, I've kind of grown up and matured a little bit, um, 
I never, she would tell me, you know, you don't really need to tell anyone you're taking medication, you know, and it's the fear of judgment. And I think now I'm so open with it and, and people are becoming more open and talking about it that it's like, hey, if you need it just to get by and it's temporary, that's okay. But if you do need it your whole life, that's doesn't mean you're a failure at life, exactly. right? But for a doctor to go and say, you're never going to be able to get off of this, like that's ridiculous. It's upsetting. And it really takes away the hope, like why make this lifestyle change right. if I'm going to have to be on the medicine only? Right. Like why try this? Why exercise? Why do this? If I'm feeling okay on all these medications, there's no hope for right. more. And that is our goal is we always want to empower people. And it doesn't mean you're going to be able to come off your medicine or anything like that. But we want to give you the choice to make these decisions and help you identify some of the imbalances. And, you know, another thing that a lot of women for any of the female listeners out there, uh, a lot of mood disorders are associated mm -hmm. with their hormones and their cycles. Okay. And I'm always really um, interested when I meet with women that they've never really tracked their symptoms with their cycle. And there's so many great app apps out there. Like I used Clue. And I love it because at a click of a button, you can put, are you feeling stressed? Are you feeling anxious? Like, how are you feeling? And it will pull all of your averages together so you can see, okay, day 20 to 28, I am always feeling anxious and irritated and irritable and stressed out. And I don't manage stress. And all of those things can be associated with low progesterone. Right. And that is not a mainstream thing to check is let's look at your hormone levels. Right. Which it should be. <laughs> Side note, <laughs> side note, side note, everybody that's listening yeah. that can order, please order hormones. It's so important. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it's important for males and females. Yeah. I mean, we're seeing men that um, unfortunately, because our obesity uh, epidemic mm. in the United States, we're seeing a lot of men become very sedentary and they're converting their testosterone into estrogen. So they're having higher estrogen levels. So oh, they're wow. dealing with more mood swings and they're feeling more emotional and they don't have enough testosterone for libido. And, Jeez. and of course, you know, I think there's even more, I think males are becoming better, but they tend to need to always, it, things are okay. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And we, I've talked about this a, a ton. It's just this like toxic masculinity sort of thing. Like, don't be a baby man up, you know, they're taught to, to do this from the very start. So them hearing this, it's going to be like, whoa, mind blown, but it's fact. It you is. Know? It is. And you can draw labs and quantify it. Right. You know, this is, that's what I love about functional medicine is it's not, and I, I love integrative medicine too. I love energy work. I love acupuncture. I love things like this. Um, but functional medicine, it's like, here is the data. Here's your number. Yep. Here's our plan. Let's track and make sure we're seeing improvements in these areas. And that is one of the biggest things I struggled with. Um, I was diagnosed with depression and then several years later, bipolar. And it, it just, it was frustrating because I never got blood results back and could see it on paper. Right. It's just this sort of like abstract thing that's like, well, we think this is what's going on with you. And now to hear that, like we can actually measure this stuff that contributes to these things. Right. You can't yes. you can't quantify depression. You can't all of that. But we can look at the hormones. We can look at the panels. We can look at all this stuff and kind of deduct and show you because that that gives somebody peace of mind. You know, growing up, I was like, I'm cr I thought I was crazy. I was so embarrassed. I was like, I can't control my thoughts. I and if I had been able to see this and had a doctor sit down with me and be like, actually, this is what's going on. It's probably contributing to your thoughts. I would have been like, oh, okay. I, I'm not so embarrassed and ashamed of who I am and why I'm this way. Um, gosh, 
oh, I wish they had. I was like, I'm like going to tear up because it was really, you feel bad about feeling bad. Absolutely. And then you don't want to keep talking about right. it too because, and then the other thing that I hear from patients and frustration is, well, this one says it's depression. This one says that right. it's the anxiety triggering the depression. This one thinks I might be bipolar. Right. And it is a very subjective diagnosis. Yeah. And that is really frustrating because then you're the psychiatrist that's diagnosing you is subjectively saying this is what you have. Um, so I like to always pair like, okay, these are what you've been told. Now right. let's look because we do the gut. We do hormones. Sometimes it is, and this is crazy, but sometimes it is simply a vitamin D deficiency. Really? Like someone is depressed. They have seasonal affective disorder, yep. meaning like winter months, they yep. feel super depressed. And it's very surprising to me that we don't check vitamin D levels on everybody at a annual physical. Hmm. Vitamin D is one of the most important nutrients in the body when it comes to mood and inflammation and hormone balance and gut health and cancer yeah. prevention. And I am amazed when I work with some women with severe depression, their vitamin D is 12 and it, it had be? never been checked. So the range in conventional medicine is 30 to 100. Okay. And we really like it in functional medicine and be closer to 60 to 80. Okay. So you could be 31 and they'll tell you your vitamin D looks okay. And again, we're talking about a range of 30 right. to 100. Right. So we're always striving in functional medicine for optimal levels. A little bit more specific. Well, yes. you told me I was, I'm vitamin D deficient. Yes. And my, of course, my thinking is like, oh, I need to get more sun. And you're like, you would have to spend all day outside. so and, and no sunscreen and naked. Correct. And I think this is a huge <laughs> myth. Like, hopefully people hear this right now. Like, vitamin D, like, the sun's great, like, for my psyche. Like, it does make me feel a little bit better. But to change my vitamin D levels, you're like, no, you're going to need to take a supplement. Depending on your levels, it's often not enough. Yeah. Because yeah. the hard part is, like, well, okay, they looked at Hawaiian lifeguards that are out there all day long. Well, they start getting really tan. So they have more pigmentation. Mm. So they don't synthesize the vitamin D the same way. So even Hawaiian lifeguards that are out there all day long had suboptimal vitamin D levels. So, you know, you really have to be more fair skin. You have to have skin exposed, not having sunscreen on, which of course is going to increase your risk of skin cancer. Right. So, right. Yeah. And I think one of the misconceptions when we talk about supplements is it's not a medication, right? So you're a big, you, you know, you love the supplements and I think sometimes people are fearful of that because they think it is a medication. Yes. So let's just kind of go over the differences and why you're a big proponent of, of supplements. Yes. So we are, one, not all supplements are created equal. Okay. And I always like to say it's like the wild, wild west out there when it comes to supplements because the FDA does not regulate it. Oh. And that is something that you should genuinely be concerned about. I don't think it's a good idea for somebody to just go into a Walmart or a Target and start trying SAMI, 5-HTP, probiotics for their mental health right. that they read online because- right that CME may actually be garlic powder and nobody is regulating that product. Got it. So one is to make sure you're getting a really good quality third-party tested supplement. And we help our patients navigate what that looks like. The second thing is that it's very individualized. You mm -hmm. can't just read a blog on these are the things that are great for mental health and just incorporate all of them because your issue may be more genetic with methylation, which right. we can get into, or it may be your gut. Like you really want to partner with somebody that can help you identify it. 
But the whole goal of supplementing is supplementing natural things in your body to help you find balance and optimization. So, you know, vitamin D is a great example. You have a low normal vitamin D. Let's get you into the optimal range so your body can work better. So it's not actually changing your chemistry. Right. Vitamin D is naturally circulating in your body. It's like an assistant. Yes. We're just supplementing it and optimizing it. And, you know, the, the sad part about our life now is we see a lot more nutritional deficiencies, partly because of our gut health. Right. But the other component is the pesticides and the herbicides that we put on our food. It really kills a lot of the nutrients in our soil. Mm. So if you look 40 years ago, you could eat like a bowl of spinach and get a good amount of iron and right. trace minerals. Now you have to eat like double the amount of spinach right. to get the same amount. Right. So I think when you're talking about supplements, you have to get a good quality. You really want to work with somebody because it's not just one size fits all when it comes to supplementing. And the great thing about supplements is one, you shouldn't have side effects from supplements. Like you should only feel better. Um, of course there are some things that you could react to. That's not a right fit for you, but supplements should make you feel good where you look at medications and here's the whole slew of side effects. So Prozac is a great example. You may emotionally feel better, but you're going to gain a bunch of weight and have decreased libido. That was awful. So, right. So uh, once someone's on a supplement, I mean, can their body regulate and then they can go off of it at some point? Yes, absolutely. So it depends okay. which supplement we're talking about. Like one of my other favorite supplements is ashwagandha. Yep. I love ashwagandha because it's an adaptogen that just helps your body find balance. So let's say I work with a patient, um, and this can go both ways. Like let's say physically I work with a patient that is running marathons. They are mentally, running feels so good. They've mentally never felt better in their life, but physically their body's under a lot of stress from running, right? right? Um, So they may need an adaptogen to help them manage the physical demands of running a marathon. Where you can have the flip side and you can have somebody that's like really stressed with work. The pandemic has gotten to them. Their marriage is unhappy. They're turning to alcohol and their adrenal glands are really off, which we can get into adrenal glands. They need ashwagandha to help them find balance as well, but theirs is more of a physical stress stress. Got it. I mean, an emotional stress emotional, in yeah, the mind. Yeah. So I always like to tell people some are burning the candle at both ends right. where they have the physical stress and the emotional stress, but it's important to understand maybe you're like me and you don't struggle with depression or anxiety, but you are waking up at five o'clock. You feel like you have to work out for an hour and a half every morning to feel your best. Then you work a 13 hour work day. Like the physical demands on your body can yeah. be causing hormonal issues that are going to trigger depression and anxiety down the road. Got it. Got it. And I think that's that's huge in that um, people that are kind of predisposed to depression, anxiety, they might be good for 25, 30 years of their life. And then something happens and it's like, whoa, where was this the whole time? But it was kind of just sitting there waiting for the perfect storm, right? Absolutely. Or, you know, even like a personal situation now, like I have my husband, I'm aware that postpartum, a lot of things change. You have major hormone shifts and a lot of people don't talk about that either. So like I may have never dealt with depression and anxiety, but I could have this baby and then, you know, the anxiety could be crippling or the depression could be horrible. Right. And, you know, a lot of times people don't feel comfortable talking about it because they're like, I just had this healthy baby. Right. I shouldn't feel depressed and anxious. And, um, it's something that just like hits home with me because with all my patients, but as a society, we shouldn't kind of help regulate what is okay and what's not okay. Right. Like our goal is quality of life and living life to your sure, fullest. Sure, 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 sure. Have you seen a spike in your patients over the last three months with mental health, with the pandemic and now, I mean, civil rights, all the stuff that's going on right now in the world? Absolutely. So one of the things, some of our patients have called me and told me they're avoiding coming in because they haven't been doing what they're supposed to be doing. Mm. And I'm like, now's when you need to come in right. because 
we need to work together and get you right. through this. But they feel ashamed. Yes. It's like they have to report to you as yes. a teacher, right? Yes. Yeah. They're like, I was supposed to be doing all of this. I let it all go. I told them not a single one of my patients, including me, is doing exactly what we should be That's doing That's like right me. Now. I fell off the gluten train. Yeah. I'm yeah. back on though. <laughs> okay. Well, it's just, you know, a lot happened and you have to give yourself yeah. grace, but we are absolutely seeing a lot more anxiety, depression, and we're seeing a whole lot more insomnia. Oh. So people aren't sleeping. They're not falling asleep. They're not staying asleep. Um, we're seeing a lot more drinking alcohol and carbs. Sure. So we're seeing spikes in insulin and glucose, which is blood sugar. Yep. Um, we're seeing much more, uh, a lot more adrenal issues. We're having to increase people's thyroid medicine because their body's under stress. So absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So what are some, let's go back to the foods for a second. Cause I think this is really interesting. I grew up, um, a swimmer and I mean, I, I could eat anything I wanted, yes. anything I wanted, all the, the amounts of fats and sugars, and it never affected me with my weight. But one thing we talked about in my initial visit with you is it probably was affecting my brain. And what are some, some trigger foods for, you know, anxiety, depression, and then what are some foods that actually might help So one of the big things when we're thinking about food is one, the gut component. So what is going to be really good for your gut health and good for your microbiome? So just thinking about the gut and what's microbiome. what's microbiome? Let's talk about that So real that's quick. all the bacteria, yeast, fungi in your large intestine. Basically like the rainforest, yes. right? Yes. Like so that's the complex there. ecosystem. Okay. That's where you have 10 times the amount of bacteria, fungi, viruses in your gut than you have cells in your body. Okay. And you get a lot of it from birth. You get a lot of it from playing out in the dirt as a kid. Really? So, you know, kids not playing in the dirt as much. They're not getting exposed to all of that bacteria in the soil. Okay. Um, you know, really being really sterile and hand sanitizing, wearing masks, yeah. washing our yeah. body all the time. We're not getting exposed to as many germs, which impacts that gut microbiome. But some of the things that are the best when we're talking about gut health is high fiber foods. Okay. Those are what we call prebiotics, and they're basically food for the good bacteria in your gut. So okay. think of them as like fertilizer. Sure. So if you are doing a keto diet, for example, I see a lot of people convert to keto to lose weight, yep. which is a lot of good data for it. So I, I support it for some people. So they switch to keto. Well, they lose all their carbs and fiber. Mm. So their gut microbiome gets off so they could feel more of the depression and the anxiety because of their gut health. Interesting. And a lot of that can be bypassed by just taking a fiber supplement and taking a probiotic. And they can stay keto. And they can stay keto. Oh. But it's things you need to consider when you're right. making. Food is powerful. We say food is medicine and food should be used as medicine. Sure. So big thing when we're talking about mood and gut health is high fiber. And that's in things like cruciferous vegetables, which is broccoli and cabbage and kale yeah. and beans and lentils, um, green bananas, tiger nut flour, ground flaxseed. Some of these things people yeah. are probably like, what, like, what is, what is tiger nut flour? I don't right. know. It's like one of the best prebiotics. Um, tiger nut flour is awesome. So eating a good diet, whole and nutritious foods with fiber is a big starting point when you're talking about gut health and mood. Okay. The other thing is blood sugar instability. So some patients, they get anxious all throughout the day based on their meals. So if they've gone too long without eating or if they eat a high sugar meal, right. their blood sugar spikes and tanks. So one of the other big things is keeping the sugar less than 20 grams per day. Okay. Like what you can read on a label. Right. So if you go in to get a Kind bar or an RX bar, tracking those sugar grams and keeping it under 20. And I don't have my patients measure if they're using a sweet potato. Right. If they're eating some blueberries. Like you don't need to be in my fitness pal. But if you're using a salad dressing and it has mm. six grams of Sugars. sugar. Yeah. Yeah. And you put that on, count that. If you take a Greek yogurt and it has twenty grams, which is not uncommon, right? You hit your whole day in that right. yogurt. So those are things that I really talk with my patient about is sugar 
keeping high fiber diets and then incorporating fats. Okay. And I know now I'm so happy. Most of my patients, when I talk to them, they're like, I know fat's good. Yeah. Like we're now on the fat train. Yep. There's not very many people that have not heard that they shouldn't fear fat, but that is a really big thing. And we're talking about fats like coconut oil, avocado, olive oil, nuts, nut butters. Um, ghee butter is also another great form yeah. of fat. Um, so there's a lot of good, healthy fats, but it's going to, one, fuel your brain because right. your brain is the fattiest organ, which Thinking about the brain for a second just like blows my mind. Like legit fat in your it's, brain? Yeah, your brain is a fatty organ, the fattiest one in our body. Um, it's fueled by both glucose and fat. Okay. So you need some blood sugar or you need to be like in ketosis, like right. on a ketogenic yeah. diet to fuel your brain. Um, but it only weighs three pounds. Like we're the talking about does? the brain. We're talking about this three pound organ um, that controls so many things in our body. Right. Um, so when you think about that, like it's so sensitive to glucose changes yeah. and, or blood sugar changes and fat and inflammation. So we need to take care of this three pound thing. Right. 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 Um, so fiber is a big thing. Sugar under 20 grams, good, healthy fats, fats. Okay. blood sugar stability. Those are fantastic. If we think there's a lot of inflammation, I have patients cooking with turmeric and ginger and garlic yep. um, to try to keep inflammation low. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I really I encourage people to eat the dirty dozen organic yep. and the dirty dozen is by the environmental working group. They come out with new foods every year of these ones are the ones that have the highest pesticides and herbicides. Ooh. And those are the ones that are worth spending your money organic okay. because pesticides and herbicides can trigger inflammation. Okay. So that's a place to start. And then when you think of the foods, probably people have heard of Whole30. Right. Those take out the common foods like gluten, dairy, sugar, sure. soy. Um, but we do a lot of food sensitivity testing because I see a lot of things like avocado. Yeah. You know, we become obsessed with avocado or making avocado toast we're throwing it in our smoothie right and that avocado could be a sensitivity right. for some triggering inflammation interesting and I guess it's it's basically just um being aware of what your body needs and and what your body craves and what it's going to respond to not only you know with medication but foods and everybody's different so we can't say that hey this is going to work for a keto is not going to work for everybody exactly so really empowering people that to take control and responsibility of their own health and giving them the tools to do so um the, the reason I was drawn to stat, like I said in the beginning, was the functional medicine side, A, the fact that you care so incredibly much about people and, and creating happy lives, but that movement is so important to you. And enter me from, from 12 yes. years of, of fitness, 13 years going on. And, um, you know, you say movement is medicine, and I know what that means, but I want to hear why you think that's so important when it comes to mental health. Yes. So movement is medicine. Same thing we say like food is medicine. Yeah. If we move our body every day, we're increasing circulation okay. to our brain. Um, we are creating natural endorphins that help with mood. Right. Um, we get a dopamine response, which is like that reward center of the brain. Yep. So just exercising can actually change our brain chemistry, which is that is medicine. That and then is, we can deal yeah, with things. <laughs> that is the side effect. I mean, it's a side effect free antidepressant. Right. So I am a huge proponent of exercise when it comes to mental health. And that's one thing. Like if I, the anxiety and the depression is not a big thing for me, but I can get like 
agitated, irritable, irritable, frustrated by things. You go for a walk, like even a 20 minute walk and you come back and you see the situation clearly. So it is a a big thing when we're talking about what is a side effect free way to help with mental health. Exercise is huge. And it's also one of those things that when you're in the thick of things, it's the last thing you want to do. Exactly. So you have to like, and I, I can speak from experience. I had to force myself to do things. And I eventually found that group fitness actually, I feel like it saved me in my twenties. And that's what inspired me to start teaching Yes. because it made me feel so good. Like I dreaded going right. You're in the car and you're, you're so depressed and you hate everything, but you know, 50 minutes later, you're going to feel 10 times better. So it's like, you have to just kind of force yourself to do these things, knowing what the emotional outcome is going to be and knowing it's going to (laughs) suck on the way there, but it automatically, you know, and this is why I love uh, what we do at stat with the personal training and the group fitness. It's small. Everyone knows each other. Everyone is supportive of each other. And if you're having a bad day, it automatically puts you in a place with like-minded people doing a like-minded thing. And that automatically just kind of switches your brain. Yes. And, um, you know, it's, it's again, one of those things that it, it can work for everybody. If everyone really gave it a chance, it's very hard to, it's very hard to work out on your own when you're feeling down and depressed. Yes. You're not going to get up and go for a run, but if you sign up for a class at 5 PM and you pay the money and you're like, I know that Sarah, Jason and Sally are going to be there. You show up yes, and you feel better on the other side. Yes. I love that meme where it's like, um, it's called a meme. When yeah. It's that little, okay. Or a gif. A gif. A gif. Where it shows somebody leaving the gym like, man, what nobody ever has said, man, I feel worse like yes. leaving a gym. Right. So that was a really weird way of saying that. But nobody ever feels worse after right. a workout. Right. It's just getting that first step in. Right. Those endorphins get produced and you feel better. And every little thing matters. Like our whole slogan at Stat Wellness is little by little, little becomes a lot. Yeah. And if you aren't ready to jump into a group fitness class, like even just getting up and being like doing five jumping jacks. Yep increases circulation like that releases some of those endorphins so just remember even like small little bites of this stuff throughout your day will lead to a big difference over time yeah it's just staying consistent it's staying consistent and um, also understanding your why yes I think is very important so many people come to me and they're like Kristen I want to lose 10 pounds well, why do you want to lose 10 pounds? Like, what does that mean to you? And you're not going to be consistent with anything if you don't understand your why. So maybe your why, like I hear this a lot from women is, I really want to get off these antidepressants so I can have a child. I don't want to be on them when I have a child. That is a great why. We have a goal. We have a time. Like we have a motivation, like an intrinsic motivation. And they're much more consistent with the plan. Right. So when things get hard, you're like, wait, I remember my why. I did a... um a panel discussion for the fit Atlanta a couple years ago. And, and Liz had me talk about goal setting and I'm like, you can have a goal. That's great. But if you don't have a deep emotional connection to that goal, you're more likely to give up. Yes. You know, if you want to lose weight for your wedding, that's great. I understand you want to feel confident walking down the aisle, but what happens when your wedding's over? Right. Right. Oh, I want to stay healthy for my grandkids and I want to have a strong body. So I'm not slouching over when I'm in my sixties and seventies and I can play with my grandkids. That's the deep emotional connection, right? So really figuring out, you know, when things get rough, like what's going to pull you through that and just losing 10 pounds to fit into a size six isn't, isn't an emotional connection. Right. But we, I've been there, you know, I went through that. And then that comes with other things. Like then you start having fears of food and then you start having, you know, so 
we could go on forever about yeah. goal setting, but yeah. I think it's really important to understand your why. So last thing I want to kind of talk about, and then we'll we'll wrap up because we're both sweating in this car. Um, Actually, I think one of us is sweating. I'm like looking at Megan, you guys. I look Sweat. like I'm in an infrared sauna right now. You're also like six months pregnant. You, I know, but what's so funny is like I have, my glasses are like steaming up. up and it's literally, it's drizzling down my chin. I think um, I'm going to have to pay for Megan to get a car wash. No, look, no, it's totally fine. It's totally fine. <laughs> okay, but totally fine. University of Michigan is doing a ton of research on the genetic component of mental health and mental yes. illness. And, you know, when I talk about mental health, everyone has mental health. When I think of mental illness, I think more schizophrenia, more, you know, depression bipolar somewhat but more of the institutionalized sorts of diseases so there is a genetic component and you know my mom suffers from anxiety my great-grandfather actually took his own life and um you know back then no one no one talked about it so he was just shocked up as crazy right right so do you know much about the genetic component and how it relates and and so the thing I know the most, so genetics absolutely play a role. The thing that at Satwan is we look at the most is methylation okay. or um, nutritional genes. And that's a that's an actual, we can take your blood and measure that? Correct. Okay. And the reason I spend so much time on methylation is because it's a gene that we can change through the right nutrients and supplementation. Okay. So when I do labs, I always think, am I checking something that I'm going to be able to make a plan right. to help? Or right. are we just saying like, yeah, you're genetically predisposed to this? There's not much we can Sucks do to be for you. that. Right. right. So methylation is one of the huge things that is really undervalued. Um, and we're getting more and more knowledge. Like there's Dr. Yasko that does a lot of research with kids with like ADD, ADHD, and autism right. getting into methylation. There's Dr. Ben Lynch that um, is really getting more into the science of nutrigenomics, which is how do nutrients impact gene expression. Okay. So this gets complex, but with methylation, I always describe it as gears that are constantly turning in our body. So as we're sitting here, these gears are working. They're helping us to detox. They're helping right. us to process. And they play a big role with neurotransmitters, epinephrine, norepinephrine, serotonin. serotonin yeah. So if you're going really fast, you may be metabolizing them all and you may not have enough of those neurotransmitters. If that cycle really slows down you may not be able to break down the epinephrine and norepinephrine, which are your excitatory neurotransmitters, right. quick enough. So I always use the example that you can be in the room with two people. Personality plays a role with this, but let's say they both get stressed and anxious. One person, it may take them like 24, 48 hours to calm down, right. where the other person five minutes later is okay. So yes, part of it is personality, but I always want to know what's happening with that methylation cycle. And to use actual like genes, um, some of the listeners may have heard of MTHFR. Yep. That's one that we hear and talk about the most, which is how does your body take folic acid, which is synthetic, and, and turn it into it. methyl tetrahydrofolate, which is active that okay. your body can use. So that's the most common one that's tested in conventional medicine. Right. But MAOA has really been shown to be connected with borderline personality disorder and OCD wow. because MAOA plays a big role with serotonin. And then COMT is another gene that plays a big role with epinephrine and norepinephrine. So whenever I hear like genetic lines yeah. of um, mental illness, 
or miscarriages. That's another big mm. thing with methylation. So I like asked you have a strong family history of right, miscarriages, right. mental illness. Um, I'll check just a homocysteine, which is a dangerous amino acid in the body that's recycled through methylation. Okay. So I check homocysteine, make sure it's between six and eight. Um, the range goes all the way up to 15, but I want to see the speed of that cycle. And then some of my patients, they go and do like a 23andMe test right. that looks at it, or we do genetic testing in the office right. um, and tell what like exactly is going going on within the cascade, but often it can be bypassed with the right methylated bees or SAMI or NAC or different things depending on which gene is off. So that is where I spend my most time from a genetic standpoint okay. because you can do so much to change it. Just from that one test. is empowering. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And we do that. Right. We, yeah. we do injections, methylfolate yes. injections. Yes. And that is um, some of the people coming off antidepressants. They'll come in and do methylfolate shots and they notice a huge difference in their mood. Um, there's actually a prescription called Deplin okay. that is a medical food and it's high doses of methylfolate that some psychiatrists around here are starting to prescribe to their patients. And I get excited because that's, you know, even though it's a prescription, it's right. a medical food. We're giving you active folate to help with that methylation cycle to help you process your neurotransmitters. Wow. Well, just such great information um, to be aware. Yes. You know, I think there's so many tools. And, and again, it does come down to taking responsibility for your life. And if, if you're feeling anxious and depressed, like diving into it, asking for help, setting up an appointment with somebody, reaching out to someone that has struggled with it themselves, like all of these things there are so many options now compared to 20, 30 years ago when no one talked about it. Yep. So you are just, uh, you are a wealth of knowledge. And I can't thank you enough, A, uh, for employing me and, and having me be a part of this, but also for being so open and honest and really caring about people and wanting them to empowering them to take control of their life. Cause it's easy for me to say, you know, do this, this, and this, but when you actually educate them um, and they're open to it, that's when things start to change and shift. And I think from a fitness side, you know, when, when I see somebody do that with their, their physical being, it's so rewarding because I'm like, you took control of your life. You, you followed the things that I suggested and, they feel so much better. I get messages all the time, especially during the pandemic, like, thank you for keeping the virtual classes. And it just, it, it selfishly makes me feel so good about myself in that they're feeling better about themselves. So I'd imagine you feel the same way on a medical side. Absolutely. One of my favorite things is hearing people come in and their positive stories. Yeah. Of course, I love to hear, you know, from the patients that are not doing well right. and figuring out what works. But it's really fun to just know that some of these functional medicine principles can lead to huge life transformations yeah. and we're changing their future, right? Yeah. Like we're not just giving them a pill that is making them feel better for now, right. which we will, but that's not our goal. Right. But we're trying to see, okay, what can we do now? How can we plant the seeds? Yep to change their future. Yep. And it's never too late. I think a lot of people, you know, they might hit 40 or 50 and they're like, well, it's, you know, what's the point now? It's like, if you're going to live till you're 89 years old, that's a, a ton of time. And hell, even if I'm going to live one more year, I want to make sure that one more year is as good as it can be. Yep. I so. totally agree. And I love that you said it's never too late. I think a lot of people um, in their 50s, 60s, 70s, yeah. they're like, well, give up. why now make yeah. these changes? And it Even is with never fitness. too late. 
Yep. I'm like, it's never too late. You never can still late. exercise. You can still do things, you know, with your body. It's still able. Yes. You're still capable. Um, so thank you so much. Absolutely. So y'all can find us at uh, www.statwellness.com. And then Kristen, what's your Instagram handle? I'm Kristen, K-R-I-S-T-I-N, period, Oja, O-J-A. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. This Absolutely. has been amazing. I really appreciate it. And um, if you have any questions, please reach out to us at Stat Wellness. Thank you, guys. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Six Feet Above. I'm your host, Megan Armstrong. Subscribe so you never miss another episode as we release new interviews every Tuesday. And if you're enjoying the series, please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Follow me on Instagram at Six Feet Above Podcast to keep the conversation going. This episode is a product of Audiographies, produced by Denor Sapolia and edited by Jacob Smolian. The music was by Keenan Willis, funded by yours truly. I'll see you next time.